stand to your feet if you're able. And uh, we're going to start off in your praise book this morning. In your praise book, number 47. 47 in your praise book. You'll find, Will the Circle Be Unbroken?
the one and only sovereign and great God of the universe. Thank you for sacrificing your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord God, we pray that you will uh, be glorified today, Father. We thank you for that. Lord, we just ask that, Lord, you'd bless this service and bless the singing, the, the preaching, the teachers, the teaching, and the students. Lord, we'll give you uh, praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and sit down. We're going to go ahead and do the announcements. So, thank you. You may be seated. Well, I'm going to start out with a really good announcement today. Yeah. Marilyn Banfield is 87 years old today. Uh-huh. So, happy birthday, Marilyn. And uh, we'll have to... Um, um, We've got your new diesel pickup out here on the on the side there for your birthday present. I'll drive it for you, you know, uh, for the next several years. Oh, it's blue. Oh, definitely blue, yeah. Hey, Wednesday evenings, we are in the book of Revelation. We have, we're going to be in chapter 16 this week, which is really good. Chapter 17, possibly, and that talks about the false religion that's coming up, and it's very interesting, so... Six o'clock, we'll feed you. Six um, forty-five, we have our Bible study. So come and uh, and join us. The women are having their Bible study May seventh, so that's coming up this next week. That's at ten o'clock, and they're studying the secret of contentment. That's a that's a very important study. A week after that, on May fourteenth, Pastor PK is leading a Bible study at nine o'clock. He is just starting the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles. So that would be a good time for you to get in on that. If you have prayer requests, call Flo Downing. Her number's in the bulletin. Uh, 1 Peter 4.8 says this, most important for all. Now, if Peter, a apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, says most important of all, probably want to take note of that. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Yeah. Okay, now, um, Thursday morning at 8.30, the tops meet, that's take off pounds sensibly. Um, Quilters and crafters meet Thursday at 10. And, um, hmm? yeah. So ladies, in the bulletin, you have your your um, brochure for the ladies' tea. And we said hats, hats are optional, but encouraged, but I don't want you to stay home with, if you don't want to wear a hat. Um, I'm not a big hat wearer, but I'm gonna wear one. So I want you to come. It's gonna be a great time of fellowship. It starts at noon this time and not 11. And um, it's catered, so all you have to do is Put your clothes on, your hat on, and come. So please, we'll see you there, hopefully. Oh, Sign-up sheet. Sign sheet is in the back. We need to know how many people are coming so we know how much food to order. So. And let's continue worship this morning. Look in your praise book number 43, Mansion Over a Hilltop, your praise book number 43.
satisfied with just a cottage below my little silver my little gold but in that city where the mansion will shine I want a gold one that silver lined I've got a mansion just over the hill Go ahead and stand if you're able. Let's just lift this up to the Lord this morning. Number 25 in your praise book. Yeah. 
cost me shame to know I'm not the man that I should be. Put your hand in the hand of the man that steals the waters. Put your hand in the hand of the man that follows the sea. Take a look at yourself and you can look at others differently. By putting your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. Mama taught me how to pray before I reached the age of seven. When I'm down on my knees, that's when I'm close to heaven. Daddy lived his life with two kids and a wife, and he did what he could do. And he showed me enough of what it takes to get you through. Put your Take a look at yourself, you can look at others differently by putting your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. Okay, let's be ready on that course. Ready? Put your hand in the hand of the man that steals the waters. Put your hand in the hand of the man that comes to seas. Take a look at yourself and you will look at others differently by putting your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. Take a look at yourself and you will look at others differently by putting your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. great singing this morning. I love you, Lord. If you need the words, it's in your hymnal, in your hymnal 78. If you can remain standing, this is our praise chorus this morning. I love you, Lord. my voice. 
our security team is at the back door there. I'm going to tell you a little story. So we were up here practicing this morning, right? And the security team and Robert was out front there greeting people and making sure that we're secure. And so we were singing and they came in through the door. They walked over to the donuts. They narfed on a, a donut or two. And I turned to Vanita that was next to me and I said, there's our security team narfing on donuts. She, she said, isn't that what cops do? <laughs> so, so that was pretty funny. That's, uh, that's awesome. Good job, Jimmy. Thank you. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, Wednesday evening. Let's see, what are we doing? I've already done announcement. Offering. Let's take our offering, shall we? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Don't forget this, um, not this next week, but the week after, we're going to have our all-church general meeting. That's just our, our yearly board meeting. And so uh, if you want to vote on any of the positions that are votable, um, come. 
Father in heaven, we do pray that you'll bless this offering, Lord, to your glory. We pray that you'll bless it to this community, Father, and um, we thank you for that, Lord. We just ask that, Father, you would increase it to the measure that you want it to be, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. full-size, an imaginary friend who also talks to him. So here they are. Calvin, I feel bad that I called Susie names and hurt her feelings. I'm sorry I did it. Hobbs, maybe you should apologize to her. Calvin, I keep hoping there's a less obvious solution. <laughs> and this will make sense later. I would like you to join me in one song before we kick this thing off. Uh, it should be in your bulletin.
used to get standing ovations, but uh, <laughs> I've forgotten those. At our Easter service a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Steve did a really great job of sharing the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And he did an especially good job of sharing the seven utterances Jesus spoke from the cross. It reminded me of a book I wrote several years ago called Reflections on the Cross, which is about those utterances. So this morning I want us to look at each utterance Jesus made and then a reflection on that utterance, my reflection. So let's get started. First, as Pastor Steve pointed out, Jesus must have spoken more than seven utterances on the cross. However, God the Father chose to record only the upcoming seven. Second, throughout scripture, the number seven represents the number of perfection and the number of completion. So to this end, these seven utterances may be a complete presentation of what God wants us to learn from the cross. So with these in mind, let's listen to what God has to say, what he's chosen for us to hear. And don't bother looking these up because I'm gonna go through a lot of different scripture. The first utterance, Matthew writes in Matthew 27, 35, when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Even the thieves mocked him and hurled insults at him. But Jesus responded to all this abuse by, all this abuse by saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And here I need to address something which is easily misunderstood, and you may not agree with me on this. Jesus is always concerned with the forgiveness of sins. This is not, however, what he's talking about here. We know this because they don't know what they're doing, he says. He tells us they don't know what they're doing. Now, there are a lot of things I don't know what I'm doing, but I always know when I'm sinning. Every so often someone will write about how the serpent tricked Eve in the Garden of Eden, but the serpent didn't tri trick Eve, he beguiled her. In other words, he seduced her into doing what he wanted, and that's all of us. We enter into sin with our eyes wide open, we know it's wrong, we know we shouldn't do it, we know it's gonna cause problems, but we do it anyway. Why? Because the serpent makes it too tantalizing for us to resist. Now, we may be ignorant of the full impact of a sin on our lives, how it will affect our spouse, how it will affect our kids, how it affects our friends, how it affects our work, how it affects our life, but we are never tricked into sinning. Sin always follows a series of small steps, each of which we agree to along the way, and each of which lead us to our very big fall. So when Jesus says, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, here Jesus is pleading with the Father to forgive those who are humiliating Jesus, spitting on him, jeering at him, crucifying him, and in essence, he says, Father, forgive them, they don't know who I am. In other words, he's not asking the Father to forgive their sins, he's asking the Father to forgive their blindness. You see, they don't really know what they're doing. They don't really know he's the Son of God. They don't really know that they're doing anything wrong. In fact, they think they're doing something very right and trying to protect their, their religion. And this brings me to the very nature of sin. Sin is always a matter of doing something you know you shouldn't. It is always doing something you know you shouldn't. This is why children are given a free pass to heaven until they reach about the age of accountability. They don't have to know what they're doing because if they're too young. And it's also why we have 
different laws for mentally challenged people than we do for the normal people, different legal standards. But my main point in bringing this up is that it tells me something important about non-believers, about non-believers. First, that they're blind. Second, they just don't get it. They can't see who Jesus is or why we follow him. In fact, there's an old Southern spiritual titled, We Did Not Know Who You Was. And the second thing, Jesus wants us to forgive them, to forgive the non-believers, to forgive their blindness, to forgive their mindlessness, to forgive their attacks, to forgive their senseless anger against us. Why? Because unforgiveness poisons our spirits. Unforgiveness poisons our spirits. A woman named Anne Lamott, who wrote Traveling Mercies, said, not forgiving someone is like drinking a bottle of rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. And that's exactly what it is. So, reflection number one is, forgive everyone. Forgive everyone. And may I include you. Forgive yourselves. Don't forget to forgive yourselves. For this is what Jesus is saying on the cross. Forgive everyone. Utterance number two. Now Luke writes in 2239, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. I love this, by the way. I truly love this. Today you will be with me in paradise. Here we have two thieves, one on each side of Jesus, who have been cursing him all along with the rest of the crowd, the hateful people, but now something's happened, something's different. One of the thieves has had a change of heart towards Jesus. First he rebukes his buddy, then he turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus reassures him, today you'll be with me in paradise. I love this. This man has done nothing to gain access to heaven except to call out to Jesus. Let's note, there's no special ceremony. There's no special sinner's prayer. There's no cleaning up his act. There's no baptism. There isn't even any formal confession or repentance. There's only this. Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And this verifies the promise of Romans 10, 13. Whosoever shall call upon the Lord, the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's just that easy. We never need to make it any more complicated. Anybody calls on the name of the Lord, they're going to be saved. Two things for us to note here. This is exactly why we should never give up on even the most aggressive non-believer. We just never know what's going to open their eyes. Second, I have to ask myself, how is my behavior on the cross? Am I living proof of Jesus? You see, it's a relatively easy thing for me to be a model Christian when things are going great, when I'm in church talking with my friends, when I've just won the lottery, but how about when I'm on the cross? How about when I'm under fire? How about when I'm being verbally abused, mocked, scorned, persecuted, hated? Then am I still living proof of who Jesus was? British missionary to Africa, Florence Alshorn, wrote, a young RAF pilot said to a Christian, don't tell me what I ought to think yet. Don't work for my salvation. Show me yours. Show me if it is possible, and the knowledge that something works will give me the courage to believe it. See, guys, everyone in this room has been called here 
because God wants you to reach out to other people. God wants you to know how much he loves everybody and he wants you to share it with as many people as you possibly can. If I, would, if I were to sum up all of these, I would say reflection number two on my part is accept people as they are. There's plenty of time to let God change them. Accept them. Embrace them. Don't shun them. Jesus used to eat with the worst of the people and they loved him for it. Never forget, the people are looking at you and they're looking for Jesus. At this point in time, oh, again, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There we go. Except people are sorry. Jesus said to himself, no one can come to the Father unless the Father who sent them draws him. And to quote Mother Teresa, she said, people may be unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered, accept them anyway. And I like that. The third one, we're going back to utterance three now, John 19.25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. Then to John, here is your mother. And from that, from the, and that text says, from that time on, this disciple, John, took Jesus' mother to be home, to, to, into his home. I've always taught this beautiful demonstration. This is a beautiful demonstration of our Lord's provision in our lives, and it is. But there's also something in this little scene that I find to be a, an interesting question. After Jesus had been teaching in the synagogues, one of the people asked another, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? In other words, Jesus had four brothers and at least two sisters. Why is he entrusting the care of his mother to John? There's plenty of family involved. First, at this point in time, none of John's brothers or sisters believed who he was. In fact, they were still chiding him about his claims. Second, John also referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved. This means that John knew how much Jesus loved him. Very important. He knew how much Jesus loved him. And Jesus was aware of this too. So he knew that he could entrust John with this incredibly precious person. You see, when we really believe that Jesus loves us, loves us so much that he died for us, then we realize that any burden he gives us is ultimately a loving gift. So John, of all people, was the best prepared to take care of Mary. Third, John was the only one of the disciples or of the family who showed up. Only one. All the others were hiding in, in hiding. Brothers and sisters were at home. The disciples were up in the other, only room, the upper room. Only John was standing at the foot of the cross. So this honor was bestowed upon him. And this tells us something important. Woody Allen once said, 90% of life is just showing up. Which is sometimes true. The best thing a Christian can do for Jesus is simply show up. Be there. Be available. Be willing. We just never know when he's going to call on us to help him by helping someone else. So if I were to sum this up, I would say reflection three is be available. Be available. And that means here at church, too. We need you here. We need your availability. We need to be able to count on you. We need to be able to plan on things that require your giving that of yourself. 
Utterance number four. Now here's Mark, Mark 15, 33. And when the sixth hour was come, that's noon, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, until three o'clock. And at, ninth, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is interpreted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? A thousand years earlier, King David wrote a psalm under the inspiration of the Lord. It was Psalm 22, and it read, Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Interesting. It's a perfect picture of Jesus on the cross, and yet it was written 800 years before the Assyrians even invented crucifixion. This should give you a little bit of interest in the truth. In a sense, Jesus is always going to utter this on the cross. It was a prophecy which, like all Bible prophecies, are completely accurate. And yet, once again, we're faced with a perplexing question here. Did God forsake his Did God forsake his son? The answer can be found in exactly, in one word exactly, what's happening to Jesus at that point. In going to the cross, Jesus has agreed to take all the sins of the world, past, present, future, upon his shoulders, so that his sacrifice and death would be an atonement for all sins for all time. When these sins were leaped upon Jesus' shoulders, they effectively caused the first and only break in fellowship between the Father and the Son for all eternity. It had never happened before, it's never going to happen again. This is the one and only break in. And this doesn't mean he's... Sorry. And Jesus cried out in agony, Father, where are you? Why, aren't you, why have you left me? It's important to note that even though Jesus cried out these words, he did know the answer. The Father all allowed this blackest moment in history because, because of the great joy it would bring later. Hebrews 12.2 says, Let us look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father at the throne of God. He looked forward to the what? To the joy. To the joy. Again, a couple of things for us to think about here. First, too much sin can break my fellowship with God. This doesn't mean he stopped loving me. This doesn't mean I've lost my salvation. But if I continuously keep heaping sin upon my own shoulders, at some point I will find myself feeling out of touch with God and have in the past. I will sense an absence of his joy. I will sense an emptiness in my heart. I will sense a pointlessness to my life. I will sense an aloneness in my walk. And I may even find myself crying out, Lord, where are you? Why have you left me? But here's the good news. Fellowship with God can be immediately restored. It can be immediately restored. 1 John 9, 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, as soon as I come to the Lord and confess my sins, my fellowship is immediately restored in full. It's just that fast. So don't stay out of fellowship. If you are going through any of those problems that you don't feel quite right, that you feel distant, that things, go to the Lord. Lord, I may not even recognize what I'm doing, but I, please forgive me. And he will always, always, always restore you. Something else to say, and this is an important note too, there is always joy on the other side of the cross. There's always joy on the other side of the cross. The Father allowed Jesus to suffer the agonizingly, nearly unbearable pain of separation from him because, and hear me, because this was the only way the salvation of mankind could be achieved. 
He had no choice but to do this. And this explains why our suffering, why much of our suffering, God will allow us to suffer for a period of time if he's up to something else that matters, that he achieves waiting on that to happen. And there are blanks like that where we don't know what God's up to, but he's working for your betterment all the time. Second Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But at the end of our trial, at the end of our darkness, at the end of our valley experience, there's always joy. Psalms 30.5 says, Promise, uh, promises, I'm sorry, 30.5 says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Weeping may endure for a night, and folks, it may be a long night, but the joy is a promise, and it's coming in the morning. So reflection four for me is, believe in the joy that awaits you. It's still there, you haven't lost it. It's on the other side of the cross. It's on the other, whatever your suffering is, it'll be back. It'll be restored in full. On the other side of the hill, on the other side of the fog, on the other side of the night, or on the other side of the cross, it's waiting for us. It's waiting for us as we are waiting for the joyful morning. Just don't ever give up on that feeling. God's going to refill this. Utterance number five was, Luke says in Luke 23, 44, it was about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour for the sun stopped shining, and, John adds, Jesus, now knowing the scripture would be fulfilled, said, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. I am thirsty. For me, this one short statement is the one that best captures the true tragedy of Jesus on the cross. You see, he willingly came to earth, became a man, lived as a man, suffered as a man, and then died as a man, so that we would be freed from our eternal slavery to sin and enter into heaven to live with him forever. He didn't cut any corners. He didn't play any God cards. His crucifixion was every bit as painful for him as it would be for us. Every bit. The prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 53, 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we did consider him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. And yet another question arises. If he was a man, how did he do all the amazing things he did? How's that possible? The answer lies in his steadfast communion with the Father. His steadfast communion with the Father. Whenever Jesus felt virtue, that's power, go out of him, which is a natural consequence of the world's touch, he would replenish himself by spending hours with the Father in deep prayer, sometimes all night long. The Greek word for virtue is dunamis, from where we get the word dynamite. It originally meant extraordinary, even miraculous power. Today it's no longer used that way. Today virtue is a word that's used primarily to refer to the standard of moral purity. But here's what's so interesting about the word. The most powerful Christians I've ever known, personally, are the ones who are the most virtuous, are the ones who adhere most highly to the standards of morality, are the ones who spend most time in communion and prayer with the Lord. Just this way. And the Lord's power, his virtue, his dunamis is available to all of us. It's simply a matter of meeting him in prayer, making communion with him. My old friend Andy Green liked to say, when I pray, I speak to God. When I read the Bible, he speaks to me. And I agree with that. That's communion. So, reflection number five is pray often. Pray often. Pray often. Don't leave yourself alone. Gather around a nice place with God and talk with Him and don't, don't feel alone. Now, utterance number six is, let's see. There was a nearby vessel full of vinegar. The soldiers filled it 
fill the sponge with it and put it upon a leafy plant called a hyssop and then put it to Jesus' mouth. And we don't know whether they were teasing him with this or feeling sorry, but when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. The Greek word for finished is teleo. It means finished, done, accomplished, completed, fulfilled, paid in full. So why are we still trying to pay for our sins? Why do we sometimes get caught up in legalistic behaviors and burdensome rituals and torturous sacrifices? Why do we continually insist on emotionally paying for something that's already been purchased in full? There's no trick to this. You're already paid for. You're going to heaven. You're, you have a matter of, are you communicating? Are you communing with him? Let's remember, 1 John 1, 9 said, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Period. There aren't any, aren't any other things we really need to do. And yet, to quote Chuck Swindoll, he says, how come so many of us are walking around like we were baptized in pickle juice? How is that? How is that? I remember I was at my doctor's once, this is in my notes, and I was telling him about some depression I was going through. He said, I don't get it. You're a Christian pastor. You shouldn't go into any depression. I said, really? I shouldn't? It wasn't Jesus? Uh, acquainted with grief? Didn't the Bible tell us that? In other words, it bothered because that was how he approached me. But, not that I left him in a way, I left him laughing, but that's okay. Anyway, um, if we confess our sins, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus' work on the cross was supposed to liberate me, release me, uplift me, free me, not burden me, weigh me down, beat me up, oppress me. Now, I'm not saying that happens in this church, but it happens in a lot of churches where these strange orders have walked in through the door. There are things that they do that have really nothing to do with anything that's in the Bible. There are little things that they've invented that must be done and must be said. So I'm not saying this about us, but this is the way it sometimes works. One of the most... <clears throat> one of the most comforting verses in the whole Bible is... Philippians 1.6, be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion till the day of Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? He who began the good work will complete it. In other words, God's still working with you. It's not over yet. You're over because it's not your job to do the completion and the fulfillment of your, per of your spiritual being. It's the Lord's job. My only job is to do the very best I can do as a human being and rest in the Lord's finished work on the cross, which says, every sin I have ever committed or ever will commit is forgiven. It is finished. It is over. Therefore, summing up Reflection 6, six let's all learn to rest in Jesus, just like he asks us to. Rest in Jesus. Don't, don't feel yourself spinning out of control because you think this and that and then you've got to fix that. There is, you don't really need to fix yourself. My reflections rest in Jesus. It's all finished. The work is already done. And now, utterance number seven. Luke writes in Luke 23, 45, Then the curtain was torn. Then the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then Luke adds, and he bowed his head and breathed his last. Here is a beautiful model for all of us. God the Father allowed his son to be rejected by men. God the Father allowed his son to be arrested and flogged. God the Father allowed his son to be crucified, to be mocked and spat upon, to be abandoned, and yet 
in his final moments, Jesus groans, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands. The word commit here means I entrust. So after all this suffering, Jesus is saying, Father, I entrust myself to your care. I will continue to put everything I am into your hands. So listen, if I want perfect peace in my life, if I want abiding joy in my life, if I want steadfast hope in my life, then I need to do like Jesus did, which is no matter how dark the night, no matter how bad the pain, no matter how long the suffering, I need to trust in the Lord with all my heart and not lean not on my own understanding, Proverbs 3.5. Trust in the Lord and in all ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Trust in Him, trust in Him, trust in Him. So, reflection seven is give your life to God. Now, gang, I'm going to tell you, of all the things I've said here today, this is the most important. Give your life to God. Give it over to Him in its entirety. Give all of it. Give all of you. It is the single most important thing you will ever do on this earth. Give your life to God. Let me go back now over these these reflections if I could. Reflection number one, forgive everyone. Unforgiveness is a poison. It infects our spirit. It destroys our peace. It robs us of joy and we need to get rid of it. So let's forgive everyone, including ourselves, right now. Starting today. Starting immediately. Reflection two, accept people as they are. Only God can change a person. We can't. Our job is to love them. God will do the rest. God will do it. Love people first. Worry about changing them into Christians a little later. Your love is primary. Your love is the most important thing you have to offer. Reflection three, be available and receive Christ's love for you. It's amazing how many people don't really understand how much Jesus loves them. Jesus loves you. He loves you incredibly. He can't even get enough to you. He loves you. Remember, truly believing that Jesus loves us gives us the kind of courage it takes to boldly stand at the foot of the cross like John, let's refer ourselves as the disciples whom Jesus loves. Reflection four, believe in the joy that awaits you. You know, you may be in a bad place now. We all are in different spots at different times. And by the way, I, I will go into this. These are my reflections. They don't have to be yours. But this is what come to mind. The Bible is a little different for everybody because it's a living piece of work. And they're, they're always, we're always finding ourselves reading things that we didn't really expect and so forth. But... Let's refer to ourselves as the disciples whom Jesus loves. He loves you again. Reflection four, belief the joy that awaits for you. It's on the other side of the cross. It's on the other side of the storm. It's on the other side of the darkest night. God's joy is still waiting for you, even if it seems like it's a long way off. Reflection five, pray often. When Jesus was, ex was exhausted, when Jesus was thirsty, when Jesus was empty, he communed with his Father. This restored his dunamis. This replenished his virtue. This refilled his power, and we can do the same thing. Reflection number six, rest in Jesus. It is finished, Jesus said, and so it was. Again, the Bible tells us, he who began a good work will carry it on to completion. It was finished because he will be faithful to complete it. He cannot add, we cannot add to the finished work of the cross. Jesus did it all perfectly. Invariably, false belief that we're not good enough is what pulls us into legalism, religiosity, and a whole world of other burdens that don't actually have anything to do with faith. They just drive Christians away. 
So let's rest in Jesus instead. And finally, the last reflection, number seven, give your life to God. And please hear me on this. No ifs, ands, or buts. Just trust in Him for all things. You see, when you lay down your life for the Lord, then you can lift up your Lord for others to see. And there's no broader, brighter pathway to heaven. Amen? I want to play a song for you. And then Pastor Steve is going to come in here and give us a beautiful prayer. Oops. This just happens to go right along with my teaching, so... Pray with me, would you? Dear Father in heaven, please forgive me for my sins. Please cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Help me to do what I learned today. To trust in you, give myself to you, and praise you always. In Jesus' name. All right, well, your, uh, your order from on low is to have a, great, a really great Sunday, okay? And then if you want to come uh, Wednesday night, we'll be in Revelation chapter 16 and 17. God bless. Mm -hmm.